Just Jesus stories. We are in John chapter 5. Those of you that want to be closer to Jesus can go upstairs to those classes. Whenever you, um, if you study a whole lot on how we got the Bible and who wrote what, when, and the like, you will find something which, which troubles me a bit, and that is the book which is attacked most is the book of John. John is attacked sometimes over its authorship and the like, but mainly because of what it does. Uh, by the way, Luke is attacked second most, and that's because of history, but most of those historical arguments have now fallen aside. Luke's been proven right, and I really expect the rest will as well. With John, it's the theology. I told you a few weeks ago that there is a book called The Islamic Jesus. It is really worth reading. It really is. It's written by a Muslim. Aikol is his last name, but just look The Islamic Jesus. Um, an amazingly well-written book, very well-reasoned. They explain why they hallow Jesus, but they do not consider him the Son of God. And he uses a lot of arguments using Scripture that you would be able to disarm because you know Scripture better. But the one book he avoids mentioning is John. His claim is that the early church was a Jewish church, and they did not believe Jesus was divine. He says Paul is the one that pushed the divinity of Christ. And I keep going, when are you going to come to John? When are you going to look at John? And he doesn't. Because as you're going to see in this chapter, John puts in more heavy theology than the others. The others, I would submit, have a very powerful, pervasive theology. But it is done through word choice, and it is done through choice of story and editing. Whereas John, it's almost as if he's, he looked about and said, this needs to be written down before the apostles are gone. And he puts the words down in a very powerful way. So John chapter 5, he just did that very fascinating healing by the, the, uh, the pool of Bethesda that we looked at last week. Still one of my favorite, most confusing stories. And then chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, he said, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Maybe you didn't get that off from what he said, but what he said was shocking indeed. Think about it. The only, um, only other passage I can think of which would have made as many people gasp and almost faint is when Paul says, in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Now think about this. For about a thousand years, circumcision was... That was absolutely mandatory for the men. They, um, and there was no female counterpart. They, they, um, what you call female uh, circumcision today is really a genital mutilation, which is uh, practiced by some, some Muslims, not most, but some. Uh, and, and from some African tribes do it as well. Uh, long history behind that, and I don't know all of it, so I'm not going to elaborate. But the other was the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are people who were killed for not honoring the Sabbath but they had missed the point of the Sabbath. 
If you remember, I told you last week that the Pharisees would even find an old piece of pottery and break it into pieces because a Sabbath day's journey was like a half mile and you weren't allowed to go more than a Sabbath day's journey from your property. So every half mile or so, they'd throw out one of those broken pieces so that they were never far farther. And, and, and you're just going, really? Really? But people do tend to do that. They do tend to hit the edges of things and not understand the concept of things. With um, Jesus here, he's not saying that there's no need for the Sabbath, but he's saying a couple of very shocking things. In my staff, one of the first things I said to them when I moved here, almost four years ago, it'll be four years uh, next month, I, one of the first things I told them is, no is a spiritual word. You're allowed to say no. And people come up to you and say, I want you to do this ministry. I want you to help me do this. I need your help. You're allowed to say no. I also told them, no is a complete sentence. You don't have to explain it. You can just say no. You're allowed to. Take Sabbath. That's a big deal for me. You've got to take your Sabbath. Sabbath to me is not a day, but it can, you need to form it for yourself. For them, it was a day. But I want you to take a look at what he says here. You may, in reading this, get way past this. The Jews were very upset because Jesus worked on the Sabbath and they believed you couldn't. Please understand, when it says the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, we are talking about a subset of the Jews. Do not ever fall in with the concept that the Jews were bad people. No, Jews are people just like we're people. Maybe some of you are Jews. All people are people. Uh, and we all bear, we always have a certain percentage of jerks and a certain percentage of this, that, and the other, and some that need to be locked in the attic. That's, that's everybody. But the worst among us are generally our leaders. And that's not true just in America. That's everywhere. The, why the worst? Think of the incompetent CEOs. They just seem to keep getting up there somehow. The Jewish leaders were the ones that were upset at Jesus. In his defense, he says, look at this phrase. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Now they would have been very angry with this because the Genesis says on the, sixth, on the seventh day God rested. They had taken this to mean cessation of all work. So do Orthodox Jews to this day. From sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, no baking, no working in the lawn, no, not even hobbies, because hobbies could be called work. There's a certain, there, there are very strict rules about what they can do. That is not what God intended Sabbath to be. He, thought, he intended it to be a blessing, a time to relax, to recharge. They had turned it into a burden. Whenever he says, God never quit working, that would have thrown him. The word rested there doesn't mean he quit working. It meant he quit doing this. He was creating, and he was done. Everything was now in play to, to continue uh, creation the way it should, should develop from then on. That was a new thing for them. But also what really got them was he said, my father. So watch, watch what they're adding up. They tried to kill him, and again, they thought they had that right or even an obligation under the law to kill him. They weren't doing it just to be mean. They felt an obligation. This is what God wants us to do. Uh, always be afraid of people who are absolutely certain that God wants them to hurt you. You will find them. 
and, and, that's, that's, and it's always a shame. They tried to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath. We get that. He worked, he healed a guy on the Sabbath. And by the way, he told the guy to pick up his bed and you know, well, get out of there. So the guy's doing stuff. You know, carry your mat and you know, the Sabbath, you can't carry your mat. Oh my goodness, what, how sad this is. Uh, moving on. He was calling God his own father. Now this is the phrase I want to explain. Making himself equal with God. When you have to understand their concept of uh, procreation and genetics. I don't know what they're called. People have told me several times, and for some reason, it will not stick in my brain. I, I just call them Russian nesting dolls. You know what I'm talking about? Got a big one, you take it apart, there's an exact replica, but smaller. And you just keep going to smaller and smaller. That's what they felt we were. That women were incubators. They did not have seed or anything other than they, they cooked the baby. Uh, that's where the baby grew up. But the baby was put in by the father. Therefore, you're in a line here. And they would talk about, if I'm here, for example, that uh, all of my children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren are in me because they, you know, it's a Russian nesting doll. We're passing this on to the next generation. Therefore... If I say this man is my father, I'm saying we are the same. Do you understand that now? They did not understand variations in genes. In fact, it was only in the 1700s that there was a big fight between, I am not making these terms up, the ovist and the spermist as to whether or not a woman had any influence in the development of a child. We've, we've been slow on this, and we often forget we were slow. They felt my son, for example, Duncan, is me. You know, people see my son and he's six foot four in a bed. And they'll say, where did he get his height? The Jewish answer is, it was all in me. I you know, didn't come from Cami at all. She cooked him well. But um, this is all from me. And any child of his is mine too. And if you look in the law of the Old Testament, you see that written large. So when Jesus doesn't say, God, but my father, he is intentionally poking them. Now think about this. He is in the most rapidly, intentionally monotheistic society to date. There had been other monotheistic societies. And in Egypt, they tried that. But it only lasted for one Pharaoh, and the people hated him, and got rid of He most likely was poisoned, uh, historians say, and immediately brought back the other gods. Jesus is looking at these one God-only people and saying, I am him, and he is me, because he is my father. Further, in the Lord's Prayer, do you remember what he starts it with? Our father. He's spreading it that we are all children of God. How radical is that? This is why they wanted to kill him, not because they were just people who liked to go around and kill people, but because they felt he was blaspheming God, calling himself God, and that was absolutely the worst thing you could do. Plus, he was saying God didn't stop working, and they had always taken rest to mean he'd stopped working. I would submit to you that many Christians believe God is rested and is still resting. They are functionally what I would call deist. A deist believes that there is a God. 
that God was this big creative force, but that God is not involved with creation. In other words, uh, as one famous deist put it, the universe is a clock that God wound and then set out on a shelf and is not touched again. It runs on its own. You might say, well, what Christian would believe that? The Christians that pray without believing it's going to change a thing. Because they don't believe that they have any, God's going to react in any sense. You might think, well, who does that? We do that when we put weasel phrases into our prayers. Return such a one to a measure of health. Have you heard that phrase? You know what that means? You could heal him, but we don't think you will, so just get him a measure of health. A measure, it's kind of like on TV when they say, this insurance only costs, costs a fraction of your insurance. Are you aware that 999 one-thousandths is a fraction? That phrase means nothing. In fact, I love DVRs because commercials make me angry, and I don't have to see them anymore because I hear these weasel words one after another. Or someone's sick and we say, Lord, be with the physicians as they look at, why are we praying for the guy that drove there in a Mercedes who has a boat? He seems to be doing fine. <laughs> Let's pray for the people who aren't doing so well. But you see what I mean? Um, my, uh, I, I, cannot, I have not been able to trace this. This goes back some distance, but then it gets lost. If you pray for rain, carry an umbrella. Remember, when my wife and I were first married, we moved to Norfolk, Virginia. We were there about two years, I think. And they had a drought. I had never seen a drought before. I'm not really sure how I'd missed that in my travels, but I'd never really seen it. And the ground would crack. There were cracks in the lawn from how dry it was. And, of course, the churches were praying for rain. But I, I would pray for rain and then turn on the news and get the weather forecast and go, oh, it's not going to rain. What was it doing? Jesus says God is involved in the universe. Let's work together. He didn't stop working. He just stopped doing that. Now he's doing something else. Do you see how they would misread that, though, and be upset? When circumcision and, and the Sabbath were the big things, he's already... He's already getting on him, and he's going to up the ante. Watch this. And I love the phrasing here. Uh, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I have no idea if he heard the muttering, mumbling, or if they actually asked him a question, or if he read their heart. But that's an interesting phrase. Very truly, I tell you. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. This is not a shocker to them. This is what they taught. If your father was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your father was a, uh, a tent maker, you were a tent maker. You were your father. You weren't above your father. There's a southern expression. Um, I might get it wrong. Don't get above your raising. Is that correct? Okay. The concept of don't, don't think that you're bigger than your dad ever because you're in that line. In our country, we ask little kids what they want to be when they grow up. By the way, that really annoys kids. They've told me. And then I don't know what to say because I don't have anything else to say to them. 
But the concept of having a choice of what you are when you grow up, that's not normal in the world. Not only is it not normal, it's not as widespread as you think. For example, you might think, well, you can do that in Britain as well, to a point, to a point. You can, you can become a physician if your dad was a farmer. You can do that. But you cannot move in society. You are locked into a class. Uh, there is a, and I'm not going to do names because I certainly haven't asked the, the gentleman's permission. There's an Indian, uh, subcontinent India, not American, Indian gentleman who has lived his whole life in Breton, owns a huge castle, and gives millions and millions of pounds to charity and has all of his life. It's got to be 50, 60 years. He has been involved in making Britain better. And yet, reading an article about him several years ago, the article took pains a couple of times to stress he is not a gentleman. What they meant by that was he didn't have the right blood. Therefore, every time anybody put his name on the honors list, you put a name on the list and the queen decides who she's going to give certain honors to, it's been taken off. Because no matter how successful he is, he's not allowed to move into this league. You understand? That's, that's the world. America, you, you ought to be very happy that you're in a different position. And I'm sure that there are exceptions, but a different position. Uh, I think we could make an argument that um, a poor African-American child in the bayou of Louisiana doesn't have as many options to not be their father, right? There are, there are inequities. There are injustices that we still have to deal with. But when Jesus is saying this, they would be nodding their head. Sons and fathers, that's right. The son can do nothing by himself. My, my son was a Marine, and he was a very, very good shot, and they gave him a medal or two for it. Um, in the Jewish society, they would honor me for that capability. Well, actually, they'd honor my father, who, although he has Alzheimer's, is still living. They would honor him, saying it came from him, although my father never did any of that. Do uh, you see the point I'm trying to make? So he's, he's establishing this is what we say. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And now the shifting, because he's not talking about society, he's starting to talk about himself. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Did you see the shift? If the father can raise the dead and give life, so can the son. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. And I hate the way this is cut into verses, but we're going to stop right here. I've stressed this and stressed this. Please read the book of Hebrews. When I grew up, I was taught that God was the judge and God was angry with us. Well, especially with me. <laughs> I, I, my faults were pointed out frequently. And my concept, and they, they didn't really teach it this way. Let's be fair. Let's be honest to these individuals. They didn't teach it this way. But I had the concept that on the day of judgment, God would just be as happy as anything to toss me into hell if Jesus didn't stand up and say, no, 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 this, this, you know, we really like this guy. It's okay. Anybody else get that kind of concept? Getting a lot of nods. Okay. Jesus says, God doesn't judge anybody. He's given that to me. Does that make anybody else feel good? That makes me feel good because Jesus likes us. He's made that real plain. So does the Father. 
The book of Hebrews makes that very, very plain. But somehow I'd, I had missed it. He judges no one. He's given it to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. He is really messing with their minds. There's a dual track here because a lot of this tracks with their society. If you were to be insulting toward Duncan, you've insulted me. And so family feuds, you know, clan wars, um, that sort of thing happened all the time. In fact, the Old Testament even codifies them, gives the rules for them. But then he goes, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Is Jesus making a pretty serious claim here? I'd say so. I've talked to people who um, are not believers, and I have great respect for them, and uh, certainly not going to be mean to them, because I've struggled myself through the years. And one of the things that I hear, though, uh, that really puzzles me is people will say, you know, Jesus never said he was the Son of God. Really? Uh, Yeah, he did several times sometimes in those words but mainly in things like this if there is eternal life out there and he doesn't say if he says there is eternal life there and i'm the only one that can give it because i am the son of the father how much more do we need here we don't uh, this is in fact the jews would say that they would uh, the the leaders and again i'm sorry i keep saying the jews again the jews were fine the jewish leaders we're saying, you've heard it from his own mouth. Do we need to hear anything more? Remember that during the trial? They'd, they'd say, do we need to hear any more than this? That's enough. We can kill him. They understood what he was saying. By the way, can I, can I cross into some real controversy? Would I hurt anybody? Okay. The concept of hell being a place where the bad guys go, or non-believers, people that just never had a chance to hear about Jesus, little girl raised in Iran, never heard his name, dies, going to be tossed into hell, Uh, Hitler tossed into hell. And the concept of this being a place where everybody's going to burn for all of eternity, a billion, billion years from tonight, they'll still be calling for the flames to go away because they're in pain. That comes from a platonic philosophy that was adopted by Thomas Aquinas and the Catholic Church. It does not come from Scripture. In Scripture, you are punished eternally because you are eternally gone. I am something that is called an annihilationist. I believe that eternal life is a gift. Here we go. A gift to those who believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't live eternally. He says that repeatedly. And he'll talk about being destroyed forever. And I've had people say, that means that you're... I've even had people say, well, he uses the same term for both, so hell lasts as long as heaven. Um, you're, you're confusing a state with an action. The action is destruction. The state of a being, of hell being forever, that can be there because Satan, it was not made for us. Do you, do you, are you aware that hell was not made for humans? The scripture says it was made for Satan and his angels. It wasn't even made for us. There was a great man that died just over a week ago, Edward Fudge. And I highly recommend that if this tweaks anything in you, that you go get a book by Edward Fudge, spelled Fudge, just like you'd think, called The Fire That Consumes. 
He was Church of Christ scholar, lawyer, and elder, and an amazing individual. If you're not into reading, and that breaks my heart, but if you're not, I believe on Netflix, um, it, it's, on, it's out there on some platform, I believe it's on Netflix, and you can buy it on DVD if you want, there is a movie called Hell and Mr. Fudge, really worth seeing. So whenever an atheist looks at me and goes, you believe your God's going to throw people and, and barbecue them for eternity? I go, no, I don't. And it really freaks them out. And I'll start talking about, are you aware that the Jews don't have a word that means forever that we do? The word when they say forever means until it stops. God says to Abraham, I will give your descendants this land forever. Did they keep it forever? No, it was until it stopped, until it was done. The rules are different in Hebrew. But when Jesus here says, I'm the one who gives life. Nobody gets eternal life except from me. And how you get it? By believing in him. That should be a clue that the state of believers and unbelievers is not the same. There's a difference here. And Paul would stress that we do not get eternal life when we die. You have it now when you believe. Isn't that cool? It's not like it's an award you're going to get at the last day of assembly. You've already got it. Going forward, and by the way, you can ask questions. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming, and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. You ever notice that before? Not everybody. Those that hear the Son of God will live. For as the Father has life in himself, again, nesting dolls, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself and has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And that's a twist we didn't see coming and you might have missed. We would have expected him to say the Son of God. But he says the Son of Man. Jesus is leading us from the my father to our father stage where we understand we have the spark of the divine. We are not God, but we are his children, and we are to behave like that. He is broadening concepts here. Son of man was a phrase back then that meant what authors call, and this is one word capitalized, every man. There's a real danger in writing uh, a novel. Uh, you can go one of two directions that are considered very dangerous with your character. One is to make them Superman. And I, I just can't read some of the novels that, and I love adventure and mystery novels, but some of them, and TV just drives me nuts because somebody will get beaten with an inch of their life and five minutes later they don't have bruise on them and they're jumping around. And I'm going, really? You've lost me. That's, that's Superman. Can't, they, they need to lose. They need to have some losses and pains. But the other is to go Everyman, capital E, where it just, they're blah. There's, there's no personality there. They're a, a cipher, as they say in the fine arts world. Jesus is saying, I get to judge because I'm one of you. I am every man. I am part of you. We know in John chapter 1, he's part of us because he created us, but he's also saying, I came down here to join you. This is an Advent statement. The most common name in the first century was Jesus. 
It had different forms according to whether you're speaking Aramaic, Greek, or Hebrew, or which there were variations within them. So that the word Jacob, Joseph, Jesus, these are all the same names. Almighty God walked, or that came down in the form of a baby, and God said, call him Bob, call him Joe, call him John. Think about it. He, Max Lucado has a great, he has so many great phrases, but uh, there's one picture that he put in my head uh, through a book that has stayed there, and that is um, Jesus on the floor playing with your kids. He says, you see the Almighty God, and you say, Almighty God is laying on the floor wrestling with my kids. And when I approach him saying, you, you are too great for this, he looks at me and smiles and says, just call me Joe. This is Advent. This is why Jesus captures my imagination. How many times do we read these verses and don't see any of this? This is action-packed, people. These people's heads would have been spit. They would have gotten aspirin if they had developed it. They needed to wait until they came across to America, and the Native Americans would chew white willow bark, and then they would bring that down to salicylic acid. But they didn't do that yet. They would have just had headaches. <laughs> do you remember poor Saul? had uh, Really, migraines were thinking is what he had. What was the only treatment he could have? David singing to him. I'm thinking, I'd rather have the narcotics, but maybe it was a great voice. Do not be amazed at this. I love that he says that. No, no, this is all right. Uh, can we stop again? Sorry. Um, do not be amazed at this. I've always been fascinated by time travel stories. Um, it'll never happen. It will never happen, people. There are, the, the universe is designed in such a way we will never travel through time at all. Forget it. Uh, there was a real excitement this year, by the way, when they did send a quark into the future. They really did, seriously. But it was like one trillionth of a second in the future. So you have to trust them. <laughs> trust us. We, we, we counted twice. I, I believe they did it, but that's a quark. It's not a human being. We're never going to time travel. But I've always been fascinated by that. Recently, I was flying back uh, from, I don't know, maybe Washington State or something, but it was, it was a, quite a flight. And the, uh, it was on Southwest. And Southwest, um, you don't have to pay a fee for anything. If you just have a device and there's an app, you can watch a, a huge variety of TV shows uh, as you're going. And that kind of kills the time for a lot of people. I started thinking, what if Abraham Lincoln were to time travel to today? Or, let's get even worse, a 1600s Massachusetts town leader were to sit beside me, they would start screaming and never stop. Really. We could explain, well, we're 25,000 feet high. We're going 582 miles an hour, comfortably. And we're in a big bed of metal that weighs a lot made up of about 2.3 million non-flying parts. Only work if they're all together. Now, I'm watching a broadcast from Atlanta um, on this little device here. Just keep going uh, under a light that I choose when it's on and off. And just, you, you cannot, after a while, you just have to say, just chill and enjoy the ride. 
Jesus is saying that when he says, don't be amazed. Because at this stage, they're going, what, what, what? And, and, and they're getting upset. And he's going, no, it's okay. It's going to even get cooler. The time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live. Those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Stop again. Is that work salvation? No. But why? Works are involved. We only have one extended view into the day of judgment. Only one. And that's Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, sheep and goats, what was the criteria for you to be a sheep, one that's saved? You visited the sick, took care of the poor, you uh, visited those that were in prison, justly or unjustly, that's not said. You clothed those that didn't have... It was you acted like Jesus around the people who needed help. That was it. Wow. So are you saved by works? No, you're saved by following Jesus. Are there works involved? Yes. Is that confusing? Sure it is. Like most life things are. Then he, had, he, he comes right back to that father nesting doll thing. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Now that's a half hour of brain twisters. Um, comments, questions? Anybody want to fling something at the front? Aim this direction. Don't hurt the guitar. Yes, sir. Yes, Dale. So, can you explain the difference? Jesus said you had to judge. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But he said only judge those called to judge. But don't do that at all. Oh, good point. Good point. It looks like there's a contradiction here. Because, uh, and thank you, Dale. Because Jesus said, judgment's been given to me, but I can only judge as I hear. Actually, not a contradiction. If I'm a general, and I've got my, um, you know, all the way down, colonels, captains, uh, lieutenants, and I tell them, your unit needs to take that place. Your unit needs to sit back here. I need this unit to go back and get more ammo. They are in charge. That has been given to them but they are to work within the parameters of the plan. Jesus tells us that God made a plan for us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a plan. And we, he works the plan. Jesus, in fact, in, in Philippians chapter 2, is said to have learned obedience. In fact, the scripture says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So yes, Jesus is in that weird position of being God and man. And he is trying to show us, and he does show us, how a man can follow God and what that looks like. He's going to, in our modern parlance, he's going to stay in his lane. And he wants you to stay in, in your lane. Um, does that help? At all? Uh, could Jesus make an exception? In my opinion, he could. In my opinion, God's not... In fact, Jesus, he will even say that God will not deny him anything if he asks. I find that to be very comforting. Very comforting indeed. Because we know, and God is for us, but we know Jesus is for us. Because this is the life we've seen lived out. 
And, you know, we know he, even if we're nailing him to a tree, what's his first response? What's his instinct? Forgive. And that's an amazing God to follow. As I told you, my struggles with doubt were serious. And they might be serious again. I'm a human being. It's the Gospels that bring me back every time. It's, it's not like, you know, I read Ecclesiastes and it brought, uh, Ecclesiastes, that can be a bit of a downer. The Gospels, however, wow. Look what, he, he's not done. There's a paragraph break here which shouldn't be there. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Jesus is referring here to the Old Testament scriptures, which they did not call Old Testament scriptures, they just called the scriptures. Because I was the only ones around. And he's saying, they testify concerning me. One of them, I want to raise a red flag here about something I'm about to say. I find it fascinating, but have no ability to corroborate it. Is that fair? So I want you to read, this is a possible. There is a, a mathematician named Philip Stoner who looked at the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. A lot of them in Psalms. There's, of course, the very famous Isaiah 53 and, and others. Uh, he looked at all of those. And then he worked out, and I did not check his math. No, I couldn't. That's not my, that's not my lane. Uh, he worked out the odds that any individual would meet all of these prophecies. And he came out with an absurd number. So he said to, um, to illustrate it, it would be like covering the state of Texas to the depth of one foot with silver dollars and releasing a blind man at random, do a randomizer of where you release him in the state. Let him wander around. Wherever he stops, reaches in and pulls out a silver dollar, that one is the marked one. That's pretty impressive. Even if his mass a little off, that's pretty impressive. Jesus met all of these, and then he explained it all in a sermon we don't get, which is immensely frustrating. Remember the, the two men on the road to Emmaus? Jesus intercepts them. The Bible says, and then he revealed to them all that the scriptures had to say about him. And we don't get a word of that sermon. According to most scholars, we don't because it was so well-known back then, nobody wrote it down. Kind of like all those stories that die when a person dies. You know, I, I talked to my dad for the last few years saying, every time I come to see you, tell me a new story. Well, those stopped about six months ago as the Alzheimer's begins to eat it. I'm not going to get any new stories. I get some strange stories, but they're not true. <laughs> some really interesting stories, but they're not true. And that's all right. That's, that's just where he is. These, we, that information was lost to us. So we have to go back to the Old Testament and we can find so many prophecies about Jesus. That's the testimony. You have sent to John. And I find that phrase really interesting. You have sent to John. So they kind of summoned him. And he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony. But I mention it, that you might be saved. <laughs> That's hilarious. We don't get it because we don't expect Jesus to be funny. But he's saying, you know, I don't really need the, what John said about me. I don't need his help. But you do. Because if you don't listen to him, you'll be lost. But that's really up to you. You don't have to. And, and it's just, 
it, it's throwing the dice you know, right back at him. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Ooh, this is good. But I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish. What, what was one of the phrases Jesus used on the cross? It is finished. Hmm. Testify that the Father has sent me. His life is his testimony. Um, we, we're not going to finish this section today because the teacher keeps going on. And, um, yesterday was my birthday, and a lot of people said, oh, what are you going to do on your birthday? Cammy and I kind of celebrate together because last week was her birthday, and we'll go off and do something for a couple of days. On the day is not that big a deal with us, and on the day, I have one grandson with three basketball games. He's on two different teams, which is ridiculous enough. One half-court, three-player, the other full-court, five-player, one an eight-foot goal, the other a 10-foot goal, and he's eight years old and needs to adjust immediately, but he does. And normally, you know, two games would be tough, but there was a hole in the schedule, and they wondered if anybody would fill that schedule, and his team went, oh, we will. So we went to three different ball games. I, that, I can't think of anything I would have rather done. You know, there's, I told Cammy, there's not a store or a concert or anything I'd rather do than this. This is, this is good. And grandparents understand this. Parents don't get it. Um, grandparents do. Grandparents and grandkids get along real well because they have a common enemy. Uh, but I, we, <laughs> we, were, we were really having a great time there. But Cammy and I frequently look at each other and say, how did this come from us? How did these, our, our, our children, our two children, these beautiful, amazing man of God and woman of God, uh, heroic even, um, how did that come from us? Because we were both broken and glued together randomly. And uh, I call her my angel because she saved me. And then we look at the grandkids, and wow, it went up a notch. We're saying, how did this come from us? This is amazing. And so every so often when the devil reminds me of how terrible I am, and the devil does that to me as he does to you, I just say my testimony is my life. What have I left behind me? Look at the churches I served. Look at the people I, I was around. Look at my family. That's my testimony. And that's really our testimony, isn't it? The Bible, Jesus put it a different way. He said, if you're a good vine, you give good fruit. And by their fruit, you shall know them. Yes, please, Randy. Oh, we're already past that. No, I'll go back. It's a... Yeah, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice.
that's a brilliant question, Randy, especially for one minute before closing. Uh, well-timed you. Uh, and by the way, you can remind me of that in three weeks when we meet again. There aren't any classes the next two Sundays. So to be fair, let me answer you. I have a rule if you're a visitor here. If somebody asks me a question, I answer it, even though it might be difficult or complicated. I do not believe that the Bible is plain enough for us to know what happens. The, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus has people being conscious of being punished or being blessed and comforted. Um, but that is a parable. We have um, mixed pic pictures. The traditional Christian way of, doing, of, of speaking of this uh, until the Reformation, so the Catholic way, is that when you die, you lose your consciousness. And whenever Resurrection Day comes, you're, it, you are raised from the dead, you, but the whole time of that period seems like the blink of an eye to you. It, 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 they'll say it'll seem like but just a moment. A lot of Protestant churches, especially those that were rooted and grew in Appalachia for some reason, are very, very big on the, as soon as we die, we're with Jesus. In Revelation, however, there does seem to be some people there, but then another big marriage scene when everybody comes in. It is complicated, and I'm not sure we know for sure. I think we could all argue a position, but I think we would need to argue that position with humility because, the, frankly, it is a little confusing. It is, and in fact, isn't it interesting that those who have seen beyond, like Paul, are told they're not allowed to say. Remember that? Paul said, I saw some things that is not lawful to say. And John, what just great dramatic scene. There are things happening, and there comes something happening in the book of Revelation where John begins to write, and the angel says, don't write that. We have to go on faith for this. And I do. If I, um, if I go directly and I'm with Jesus, I'm yay. But if I have to stay in the grave until we all go, yay. I, I like naps. I have no idea why I fought them so hard as a child. In fact, when I'm around the grandkids and they're fighting it, I'm going, you have no idea how, how wonderful these things are. Uh, here, have a Benadryl chip cookie and enjoy the ride. Um, well, I actually don't do that. Not again. Um, I, I do appreciate this. Please hold on to the stories. The stories are what feed our souls. God bless you. Go get your babies before they're loosed upon the cosmos.